1: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker.
2: Tethered Nation, you've often heard me talk about Tethered and their saddle setups and how much I love them and that I've given them credit for helping me expedite my learning curve or becoming a more mobile and more aggressive hunter, especially whenever it comes to doing out-of-state hunts. Well, their previous saddle setup, was, there's nothing wrong with it. I've used it for two years, but they've decided to up their game, if you've not heard, and have released the Phantom Saddle. And the thing that they've updated this is, is sizing. Oftentimes, people are asking what size they need to buy based on their waist size. Well, they've kind of eliminated that and created a one-size-fits-most uh, saddle size, which is a goes from a 28-inch waist to a 40-inch uh, waist. They developed comfort channels. One of the biggest things people would talk about is just like overall comfort when they get into the saddle. The saddle is comfortable to begin with, but how could they increase that even more? So what they did is they created comfort channels on the uh, loop in which the bridge kind of connects into. And your bridge position will have a lot to do with uh, how comfortable your sit might be because it's going to determine where the pressure of your saddle is being placed on your body. So if you need a little bit more back pressure you move it to the higher comfort channel. If you need a little bit more pressure or support underneath your rear end, you move it to a lower comfort channel. The other thing, one of the biggest things I think, you know, overall is, you know, that has to do with comfort is how high you're setting your tether. And a lot of times when you're getting into a tree, depending on the size of the tree, where the branches are, things of that nature, you can't always get your tether height exactly where you want it to be. For me, I like to set mine right about neck height. But if I have a branch that's in the way and I'm hunting public ground and I can't cut it, I might need to set it higher or lower. And that's going to impact the length of my bridge uh, away from me, essentially, or the or the distance from me to my tether, and the only way I can adjust that is by having an adjustable bridge. And Tether has created the Utila Bridge, which allows you to make that adjustment on the fly, super easy to kind of adjust that length to the optimum position for you to have the most comfort. The other thing that I'm really stoked about that is probably a little bit underlooked is the lineman loops. Now, the lineman loops on the Mantis are fine. But they're not as rigid as the ones on the Phantom Saddle are. And the reason why they're a little bit more rigid and bigger on the Phantom Saddle is that it's a lot easier to find them whenever you're trying to you know, ascend or descend in the dark. So for all these reasons, if you've not checked out Tethered, I would go to TetheredNation.com, check out their saddle gear, and specifically take a look at the Phantom Saddle. The first thing I do in the morning before a hunt, before a scout, or just before getting ready for work is have my morning coffee. And I'm sure most of you out there listening are the same. Make sure you're filling your mug with Skullbrew Coffee as it is the only coffee company that is both 2% for conservation certified and donates 10% of its profits to conservation organizations to help secure the future of our wild places. So head to SkullbrewCoffee.com and choose between three killer roasts of coffee and know that you are supporting conservation with every sip. Welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 171. Today I'm joined again by Andy May for part two of our conversation and how Andy plans for success on his out-of-state hunts. So stay tuned. All right, all right, all right. What is going on out there everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you're doing well. Hope you are are feeling fine out in the uh out in, that, out in the crazy world that we're living in today. Not going to have a crazy long up front here um cuz you know, we're uh we're here at day number uh I think it's 16, 17 that I've been kind of um locked in my home. To a degree well not completely locked in my home but you know working from home no need to really travel anywhere other than to the grocery store can't travel anywhere just in, in general um, my area of Pennsylvania is on a uh, shelter in place situation um, so we're dealing we're dealing with that but everyone is continuing to be healthy uh, which is uh, which is good and I hope the same for all of you out there that are uh, that are uh, that are listening did get a chance to do a little bit of e-scouting. Like I'd mentioned last week, starting to put some puzzle pieces together, uh, for, uh, this fall. i of course knew that I was going to be headed to Ohio. Um, so that's for sure happening. And then, uh, I, I think I mentioned in the last podcast that I was trying to narrow it down between North Dakota and Missouri. Um, and I think we finally have a verdict. I think I'm a, probably about 90% sure that it's going to be Missouri. The exact dates, um, are not a hundred percent set in stone yet. Um, so, um, so I've been looking at some public land in, uh, in, in Missouri and in a couple specific areas, I actually talked to a buddy last night or yesterday that you'll uh, actually that podcast will be coming out here in the next couple, uh, the next few weeks. Um, and he has some experience with the area that I was looking at in, in Missouri that I didn't, uh, that I didn't know that, uh, he had some familiarity. So I was talking to him yesterday, a little bit about it. And a couple places I was looking at, he had some good things to say. Um, so I think I've narrowed down the, uh, the area and actually the specific parcels that i'm going to focus on you know if you it, it's not far off if you watch the video that i did about planning out of state hunt hopefully i'll be able to get the second video out in that series here soon um it's not far off from what i had outlined in that in that video uh specifically a little bit different as far as like the parcels that i'm looking at uh but the uh, general area is uh is is pretty consistent with uh with that video, which is, uh, which is super cool. Um, you know, I'm somewhat familiar with that topography and just kind of the lay of the land to a degree, just from my past experiences in that general area, um, from last year, uh, while I I was in Iowa. Um, and so hopefully I'll be able to take some of those learnings and apply because this is going to be pretty much, you know, unless for, in some way, shape or form, unless I'm able to get away, uh, during the course of the summer for, you know, a, a quick weekend trip, not very quick though, considering it's a 16 hour drive, um, you know, and get out there and maybe scout a little bit, a couple of the pieces, at least speed scout it. Um, you know, it's pr- looking like it's probably going to be a hundred percent, you know, freelance hunt where I'm going to get there and not really know anything about it and have to figure it out. Um, you know, within, you know, six, seven days time, which actually kind of dovetails nicely into the conversation, uh, that we're going to have today. This is part two, uh, with Andy May. Uh, if you listened to part one, uh, you know, that was a, that was a, that was a good one. Um, you know, we, we talked not so much specifically about how he hunts, you know, out of, out of state. We kind of, it was more of a broader conversation. This, today's part of this uh, conversation is more focused on Andy's particular process and how he kind of goes about, you know, planning for success while he's doing these out of state hunts. You know, he, he oftentimes he will have a, a level of familiarity, but sometimes he won't have a level of familiarity with the, with the, uh, the properties that he's going to be hunting and he kind of has a process that he that he goes through, and in a way that he qualifies a parcel. I think the one thing that's really unique about Andy is that he, you know, he's willing to go places that may or may not have you know quote unquote good deer by other people's standards, as far as you know known good deer. And he manages to always find good deer regardless of uh, of of where he's at. So um, it was really you know cool to listen to him kind of explain how he looks at things and his approach. Um, just because I'm always trying to learn, um, you know, I love hunting out of state it's something I've been doing for several years. Um, I've managed to have some success at it, uh, definitely not to the level of Andy. Um, and so it's always good to listen to guys like him who have been doing it for, you know, a long time, you know, and, and, and of course, not just doing it for a long time, but being successful and not just, you know, successful as far as, you know, filling a buck tag, but he's killing a caliber of animal that even if you were hunting in your home state on, on property that, you know, um, you'd be super stoked to fill, fill tags with any, any of those deer. And considering that he's doing it in multiple States, um, you know, just about every year and killing deer and and good deer in multiple States, you know, he's got a lot of information to share and his approach certainly is working, uh, for him. And I'm sure there's a lot that we could each learn, um, from how he kind of dissects a piece and what his, what his overall approach is. So with that, we'll go ahead and pick up, uh, in process, uh, this, uh, part two of the conversation with Andy May. And as always, thank you all for listening. I want to shift gears here, man, because I want to talk to you, you know, a little bit more about, you know, you know, DIY hunting, hunting out of state. And, you know, cause you know, you're, as I said at the top, you know, you're kind of known for doing this and you're doing this on short trips with just a couple, you know, days at a time to, to, to get it happen. So I want to start kind of at the beginning and have you kind of walk through how you set up these out of state hunts. So, you know, you talked a little bit about, you know, picking a state for the season and so forth, but, you know, what do you kind of, you know, how do you qualify a state or how do you kind of go, go about picking a state that you want to hunt? So if we say like, all right, Andy, you're going to plan your 2020 season and it's just say, for example, you have one state, like one out of state trip you're going to take, you know, how are you, what's the criteria for picking that state? What are you looking for?
1: Hmm. Well, I mean, usually I, in the past, you know, I've went to places that, you know, sometimes I just look up like areas that produce good deer and mm-hmm. I might pick a state because of that or like a, um, or maybe even like a part of the state or a certain county. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times it's just, I know somebody in a certain area and, uh, you know, I'll just go. Just like like Maryland. Like I probably would never have hunted Maryland, but I got a friend there. He's like, hey, you can stay with me and there's a bunch of deer. And I was like, hey, let's try it. <laughs> you know. So right. um I a lot of times I just wanna try a new state. And I don't really care how crappy it could be or um, you know, I like that I like that challenge. So um I'm kinda not super picky. Mm-hmm. Um, although I guess when I take a rut hunt, um you know, when I go on like one, like in November or something, I try to go to a state that has, uh, a good number of mature bucks. So that's why right. I, I used to go to Illinois. Um, I try to draw the Iowa tag. That's only, you know, every so often, Right. but you know, Ohio, something like that. But and now I'm starting to get into more like Nebraska, that type of thing. But, um, I don't know. I just, I just, <laughs> I don't really have a criteria of, of, what i try to do is uh i've went on so many now so i have areas that i can go back to every year and get on good deer right um so i have that um you know those spots kind of built up um but i always try to throw in something new right and because that's when i really uh, that's when i'm really uh maybe that's when i'm challenged the most and that's when i feel like i'm at my best to be honest with you like when i have a new challenge like a blank slate and trying to figure it out and that's when i'm really probably the most energized and excited and i just i just love that i mean that is my favorite just going into a whole new area and it's fresh and you don't know what's there and even if it's like a new type habitat like you know, I've hunted quite a bit now, but like when I first started hunting hill country, I was like, Oh man, this is so different, <laughs> really? you know? Um, and it was challenging, like, uh, you know, figuring out what the wind is doing and how the deer use these hills and where they're bedding. It was, it was challenging, but, um, you know, over time and talking to people that lived in those areas that were successful, like I started to figure it out and now I can go to, into hill country and be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, so You know, I just, I try to throw something new in there every year just because it's important to me, um, to grow as a hunter. That's a goal of mine is just to keep improving. Like I just, that's the main thing is I just want to keep experiencing new stuff and I just want to keep getting better. Not to, and I've, I've said this before, not to outdo this guy or that guy has nothing to do with that. It has to do with me. Um, I would, I, I have a trouble, I would have a hard time feeling, um, like complacent and not. Trying to improve in this because I I do love it so much and I'm I love the challenge and the chase so it's just something that I want to always continue to grow and get better at.
2: Yeah, no, I would totally agree with you, man. Like I I I respect the fact that you'll go you'll go to places that just knowingly don't have great deer. You know what I mean? Like that's you know yeah that, that, that's that's interesting. You know it's for, and I'm the same way where it's I like taking a trip. I I think I really prefer to go places I've never been before because. I just know myself too well and I'll get, you know, I've had problems in the past and this is something I've actively, actively tried to break of getting married to a spot or married to an area. And I find I don't do that if I go to places that I don't have familiarity with, because I don't have enough data for any one spot within that piece of public or within the two pieces of public that are nearby that I'm hunting Mm -hmm. to get married to a place. So it's like, it's actually really freeing for me like, and not, so much intimidating to go to a place that i don't know because it's like my mind is completely free like everything is new and a new data point and i have no historical bias you know yeah for each piece of data that i'm getting you know in real time um so i would tend to agree with you i would tend to agree with you there um you know i know when you when you do go out of state you're usually again you know doing those short two to five day kind of trips you know how do you approach these from a scouting perspective are you hitting these areas let's, let's just give the scenario that like you're going to a spot that is new to you, you know, mm-hmm. are you, are you hitting them, you know, this time of year now, or are you going back in the summer? Are you hanging trail cameras? Like what's your kind of approach to kind of get learned before you step on to the property before, before you actually are hunting?
1: Yeah. So it's kind of a mix. So in the past when most of my out of state trips were during the rut, um, I would always try to go and scout this time of year. Um, mm-hmm. as soon as that snow was gone, you know, March, uh, March, April, somewhere in there. Um, just so I can see all that rut sign. Um, and you know, I'm actually, I'm going to Iowa, uh, in a week or two to do my scouting for this year. And I mean, I've scouted so many times in Iowa. I know so many pieces of public there, (laughs) like the back of my hand, but I want to try some, I want to go to a new spot. I want to try something new. I want to have, I I want that growth. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, you know, I know there's spots I can go and have a good hunt and probably kill something, but I'm, I'm just, I'm always driven by like, what's in that other spot? Is there, you know, is there Mm -hmm. bigger, older deer there? So, um, I'm going to go and and hit all new areas and and just see how that looks. So if it's, if it's been a, a a rut hunt in the past, I've always tried to make a trip scouting. I love scouting. I I scout way more than I hunt. Um, so is that even in,
2: in season? Would you say you scout more than you hunt? Well, yeah, if you
1: consider, um, so in season scouting this, I kind of lump all these together, you know, mm-hmm. checking trail cameras. I call that in season scouting, glassing in season scouting, sitting in a stand. That's an observation stand in season scouting, um, get, you know, maybe on a, a day where, um, I may or may not hunt. I might drive to a piece and I might walk the, Uh, food source edges looking for a big track and if i see one if i know i see a big deer that's in the area or maybe i get a picture or whatever now i know he's in the area and now i know where i need to be to to kill him Mm -hmm. so all that stuff um i consider in season scouting and i'm doing that even though you know you might check you might check a camera it might take you 20 minutes right where i might hunt it for four hours like obviously you hunted longer but if you're just doing like apples to apples, like how many times I scout versus how many times I hunt, I scout way more. Right. Um, so yeah, even in season scouting, um, I'm my 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 hunts around home are very. Uh, I call them like detailed strikes. They're very um, high percentage strikes at certain deer. Most times, I, I usually, I usually leave during the rut because all my stuff around home, I'm so intimate with, if there's, all I'm trying to do is find a big deer. If it's on a piece that I'm familiar with, I can usually get them. I can usually get them. Um, I usually know where to get them. I'm not saying always, but just usually, um, if it's on a piece that I'm not familiar with, you know, it's coin flip maybe i will maybe i won't right um a lot of times there's other stuff that was you know in michigan you're dealing with other hunters and screwing up screwing you up all the time so all those are factors that you know can impact that but uh um around home it's usually very detailed going in for the kill and if i don't have that confidence or that that intel then i'm usually not sitting in a high percentage spot. You know what right, I mean? I, that right. that would be a low percentage sit for me and I don't sit low percentage sits.
2: Right. So let me so. ask you what, what puzzle pieces when you're going in for that high percentage opportunity, you know, what puzzle pieces, like, what's the thing that tells you when you see it, you know, where you're like, bingo, it's this week, you know, on this wind, it's going to happen. Like, what's that thing? Cause I think it's like from following you from afar for a couple of years, it's like, it just almost seems like you have this like thing where it's like, yep, it's today's the day flip the switch. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm just always mm-hmm. curious, like what is that thing that tells you here's the opportunity?
1: It's not one thing. It's, it's, it, it could be a number of things. So, um, you know, it could be, I'm sitting kind of like in one of those, I, I said a lot in what I call Like I say, like safe spots, like observation sits, but you know, I could still get something. Mm-hmm. Um, But most of I'd I'd label those more observation spots. They're not like way, you know, way out of the game. They're kind of like on the edge of the game. Mm -hmm. Um, and if I'm sitting in something like that and I see uh a big deer do something, then I'll move in the next day. I would consider that a very high percentage sit, my very next sit. Right. Okay. Or if I go and check some cameras and it's you know, October 10th, and this deer is sitting here, uh, you know, I got him going through this travel corridor or, or hitting this scrape, and it's, you know, uh, 30 minutes before dark or something. And the conditions are right. You know, I got a good wind, and I can slip in. The access is good to, to a spot where I think I can ambush him. That would be a high percentage sick, because I just have some really recent information, um, you know of what that deer just did. Right. So another, something else might be, um, um, just even getting a a track of a deer in an area, like some of my spots, like when a deer shows up and, um, I'll get into another thing about timing. That's a big one. Mm -hmm. But, um, when a deer shows up in some of these areas, it's like, I know where they're bedding. So, because I know these areas so well, Right. Like I know exactly like the thicket or the Island that this deer is bedded on. If he shows up, if I get a picture of him, if I get a track on a food source or something. So, um, sometimes there might be, it could be one of three spots. It could be one spot. It could be one of two spots, but, um, I consider those high percentage hits when a deer shows up in one of those areas that I'm really intimately familiar with. It's, Basically, I just got to get to where I need to get without being busted. And I got a, a fairly high percentage sit, Right, um, you know, at killing that deer. Now, going back to the timing. Um, so what I have really started to key in on, it's probably been six or seven years now, is um, certain deer, like when I'm after like an individual type deer and it's been a year or two or three, um, what I start to figure out, I I start to gather all this intel about this deer, like where he likes to travel when he's in certain areas. And I, I, I start to notice these little patterns. So, um, like a certain deer might show up in this river bottom in late October, because Mm -hmm. it's mainly a, a, a doe, um, a doe type corridor that has a lot of doe bedding and usually doesn't house uh, a mature buck in the beginning of October, but come late October, when the big buck starts sniffing around, boom, he shows up. So when I see that, I remember that I write it down. um, And now I'm keying in on that the following year. And then I might see him do it again the next year. And what I find is these deer do very similar things, at the same time from year to year Mm -hmm. you can really key in on where a big deer is at a certain point during the season and that's when i'll hunt like an individual deer so for example i don't know if this is all making sense no it totally totally makes sense yeah okay i'm tracking so um in 2017 i killed a big 160 inch nine point here in michigan and i had that deer either a sighting or a trail cam picture, um, and his sign would open up in this area for three years in a row in between October 24th and October 26th, three years in a row in this little tiny area. Now I don't know where he was before that somewhere where I couldn't hunt, right. but, um, it started with a picture when he was three and I'm like, Holy smoke, this is an- big three-year-old. Right. You know, it was like October 24th. And then I got a couple more pictures of him. I hunted him, had one sighting, didn't get him. I was in the wrong spot. It's a kind of a long story, but I was in the spot where I thought all the sign came together, but I actually didn't know it at the time, um, the first few sits, but I was sitting in a spot that was really swirly.
2: Mm.
1: And um, I the, the second year I hunted him in that same area. I was anticipating him showing up, but I didn't know for sure, but I was, I remembered, Hey, this deer shows up around this time. So I'm going to start hunting around here, checking the camera and whatnot during this time. And boom, he shows up on October 25th or 26th. I can't remember, but it was, it was basically like a day off and he was probably in that area before too, but I just didn't get a picture. So I hunted him that year when he was four and I was, again, I was hunting where all his scrapes and his tracks were, and it was in, it had good perimeter cover. It was the spot. It was like, you walk into the spot and you're like, holy crap, this is where I'm going to kill this deer. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I sat there and I, I have an idea where this deer is bedded and I'm fairly close, you know, within 150 yards or so, but this was the spot where I felt like I could access without bumping him and that I was going to kill him. And it's closing time, still shooting light. And I hear footsteps come in and I'm like, Oh baby, here we go. <laughs> and he, he's coming and I never did lay eyes on him, but I hear him stop. Then I hear a stomp, stomp. And I hear a big, large body deer bounding away. And I'm like, what in the world? So I start throwing out my milkweed and it's supposed to be blowing out of the North. Um, and what the, what the, because this there's a I was in a opening in the woods. Mm. It was blowing over the top of this opening, circling down into the opening, and then blowing me back to the north,
2: vacuuming back.
1: Yes, yeah. And I didn't know that at the time. Now I know that I can't hunt this spot. And and you wouldn't you would only hunt it in a north wind because of the way he was coming, right? Right. So I totally rethought things out, and started scouting more this time of year. It's like, okay, where can I get a consistent wind and where can I get a crack at this buck, you know, on his travel route? So I ended up backing way off. And, um, I found this little pinch between, um, a river and a uh, cornfield and it kind of drops down this ditch. And what I judging by the way this, this deer came through, I, you know, I kind of estimated like, okay, he's coming through this pinch. I think he's going to be on this low side. So I ended up picking out a tree and, um, I went the the following year when he was five, I went in on October 25th. And the reason I picked October 25th is because he showed up the two previous years on the 24th and the 25th. And he was around that area like for two or three days. But on October 25th, the year I killed him, it was a major cold front. So it was like 70, and then it dropped down to like 45. Mm. And I had the perfect wind for this tree that I picked out. That's a good so I was scenario. Like, All right, I'm going in. Yeah. So I'm sneaking in and I'm going down this edge, and there's like, I'm coming up to scrape, big, huge track in it, scrape, pee in it, scrape, big track. I'm like, oh my gosh, like he's here. Right. So I'm it's just like sneaking. Santa Claus. You're like, he's yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I just, you know, you had that feeling like this is the night. Like I, I texted my buddies, like I'm killing him tonight. It was just one of those things. Like everything was adding up. The timing was right. The wind was right. The weather was right. Like a lot of conditions in my favor. I climbed up in that tree and I don't know, 20 minutes before dark, here he comes. End up putting a, a good shot on him and I hear him crash down in the river. Man, So it was, it was just awesome. But so going back to timing, these bucks. Well, if you can, if you can figure out when they are in certain areas at certain times, that's when I'll hunt those, those deer in those areas. So again, I go back to the high percentage sits. Mm-hmm. I want high percentage sits. And so when I know a deer is in this small area, in this short window, that's a high percentage sit. And I will stay out of there until that window. Mm-hmm. And then I'll slip in and I'll kill them. Um, doesn't always work. Um, you know, other things happen, right? Pressure can, you know, uh, divert his travel or his, or his habits. But man, that has been so repetitive for me. Um,
2: it's just with, that historical with, data, the historical yeah, info,
1: the, the historical data, my Michigan buck this year, same thing, late October. Um, and a lot of times, you know, that late October is a good time frame. but I've, I've done it early and I've done it during the rut. And, um, you know, it's just, When you, when I'm lucky enough to have a deer make it to like four or five here, which is, it's rare. There's some years where I don't have a four year old buck to chase, Yeah, but there's some years where I do. And there's some years where I have, you know, a four or five, you know, maybe even a little older, but it's just rare. But when I do have those instances and it's not like some surprise buck, like on a new piece or something, like I usually have some sort of historical data or history with this deer where I can start to put the pieces together. I start to know where this deer likes to bed or this is where he likes to travel or he's in this, the, this area here, um, you know, during this type, this time of the season right. or he likes to rut over here. Or like when the does come in, he, he runs this bottom here. So I'm going to be sitting all day, you know, during that time frame when he's usually here for as many days as I can till I get a crack at him. It's like things like that. Right. But then it's not just, um, individual deer because you know sometimes i still shoot surprise deer i mean it does happen right um but but areas heat up at different times so i have a spot in northern ohio that is great the first few days of the season it's like awesome and there's a bachelor group of bucks there and if there's one there that i can shoot i got a really good chance at killing him the first few days of the season now there's not always a shooter there depends on you know what makes it and whatnot but it's just it's just a really good area it's one of those little tiny woodlots but it's got a little thicker um like undercover understory Mm -hmm. and uh it's surround. it's got water it's got a ditch running through it it usually has corn on two sides and beans on two sides and there's two giant oaks in there and oaks are like really a premium in these this area where there's not many woods or trees so when those things are dropping too, it's like, man, that place is money. It's like the end but, of the rainbow there. Yeah. But the, the farming community is so aggressive with their, with their crop picking that it it's usually, they usually start picking unless it's really, really wet. Like it was this year. They usually start picking right around the opener. Right. Yeah. So I usually got a couple days to, to get in on one, but, but then conversely, I have this river bottom that I like to hunt. And it is just loaded with does and you could go in there early October, mid October and hunt it. But you're not going to see anything big. You're not going to see anything mature and you're just going to, you're just going to blow these does out and divert their, their travel and, and, and their pattern. But okay. if I can stay out, I've learned that I need to stay out of there. And then I slip in there like, you know, early November, You know, right when those bucks are really on their feet and they're starting to they're starting to cruise. Like I slip in there now in one of these two little pinch points and sit for a few days all day. Like I'm going to get a crack at a good one. Like I've done it like over and over and over. But it doesn't work unless I stay out until that perfect timing. Right. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
2: Yeah, there's a spot that I go to in in Ohio that I I killed a good deer out of the one year. And it's one of these spots where I didn't really understand what was happening at first until I investigated it like a second year when I went back. And I actually was set up basically in um, in in a small saddle in between two separate doe bedding areas that were on each side of it. And these bucks were just running this saddle back and forth to hit these two two, two dough bedding areas. And I didn't know those bedding areas were there originally, but like, you'll see bucks in the morning, every single morning between like seven and nine o'clock, like clockwork. And you'll see multiple, and then you'll see a couple during the midday. And then in the Mm -hmm. evening it's, it's garbage. Like you won't see anything in the evening. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, it really kind of heats up right around like the six through like your classic, like rut time. But before that it's, it's a ghost town. Like there's nothing, you know, you have like a three to four day window where you will have a good shooter buck come through there if you if you play your cards right in that spot right and uh and it's it's I, i've seen it happen killed a good deer I, i've sent one of my buddies there two different years and he's he's seen you know mid 140s 150 you know both times he went he didn't get a shot but he he saw a you know a really good buck um and it's just one of those places where it's after hunting for a couple of years i figured out you know there's a window here of if you just hunt it during that window you will get an opportunity you know
1: yeah so so if you Like going off what you just said, that situation. Now, if you have, that's one good example, right? Where Mm -hmm. you feel like if you slide in during that time, you got, you got a pretty high percentage chance of, you know, for hunting for bow hunting, a fairly high percentage chance of getting a crack at a good one. Yep. So what if you could plan your whole season with situations just like that? I was just going to say, that's, that's what I do. Right. That's why I'm, that's why I'm able to be so efficient with very little hunting time because almost all of my sits are very high percentage sits and, and I've done the work to, to find that. So I have those early season spots where I right. can go and have a good chance at a buck. I don't always get them. Um, right. and there's not always one there, but right. it's a, it's a, a good chance. And I got spots where, um, spots or deer, like when I say spots or deer, I got spots that can produce during this time or I know of a deer that is in this a different area during this time. And what I would have is like all season long, I'm just, I have these options of very high percentage sits. And, and when one doesn't pan out, I can usually fall right back on another one. So it, it it gives the illusion like, man, this guy makes all the right moves all the time. But it, <laughs> it's really it's really that I've just been doing this a long time, and I have a lot of data, and I have a lot of areas that I know well. Um, and then, you know, going back to like the in season scouting thing, when I don't have one of those things or something, I just don't have anything going. I don't have a big deer to chase, and you know maybe you know um, my I can't get on uh, my area that, you know, might be good in mid-October is just like tanking. Well, that's when I get out and I try to make something happen. That's when I get out
2: and just I start, start kind scout of freestyling and scout,
1: and scout yep, until I find something. And, you know, I kill a lot of deer that way too. Like when there's a gap of like just nothing going on, I won't just go sit. Like I will go, I might go still hunt through, um, a bedding area of a of an area that I've scouted in the past, but like wasn't on the radar, um, that I didn't think I was going to get to. It looked decent, but it wasn't high enough priority that I was actually going to put some time there, but Hey, I don't got anything else going on. So I'm going to go, you know, still hunt or like basically scout and hunt through this area, slip through the cover. And if I see something hot, I'll set up. And if not, I'll just keep working towards the bedding until, something happens until i run into one until i shoot one until i bust one and then and then a lot of times i'll if i shoot something there that's great but if not i i get some information um or i might even see one and now i'm in the game with something else Mm -hmm. so it's like i'm just constantly trying to um keep myself in the game with with these high percentage sets and if for some reason they're not happening I go out looking for it
2: right yeah I think that that was the one thing you know I think for me this year it's like I had one of my best encounters in PA by by doing exactly that I hung a camera on a on a piece of public that was new to me on a flyer just walked in hung it came back in August or like uh, I guess it was the beginning of September and I had two decent deer on it and I was like all right it was like if I ever make it back to this area I'll I'll you know hunt, try to hunt these two deer and one deer I was hunting on a different piece. He, I end, he ended up vanishing and I had an encounter with him. I bumped him while I was scouting the one day and then I got shot at by some duck hunters on around this swamp. And so I kind of, I gave that spot up and went over to this other piece and was just doing it exactly what you said, where I was like, I was like, I'm either going to find something or I'm going to bump something, you know, mm-hmm. e- either way, you know, it's like, I don't have much to lose. And so I kind of still hunted and scouted my way through this piece and came across this Oak Grove with a bunch of scrapes, just tore up with a bunch of really great side cover. It's like, if, and to be out there listening follows John Eberhardt. It's like classic John Eberhardt, you know, uh, primary scrape area with side cover, right? So mm-hmm. saw that Spidey senses went off, got into a tree, and had an encounter with one of those bucks that I had on camera. That I was like, I would shoot one of these, uh, but ended up getting dark deered. He came out, and I couldn't see my pins. Um, but mm-hmm. it was this. It was the same thing that you're talking about, where it's like I was just pressing the envelope, trying to make something happen. And at the same time, I think what keeps some people from doing that type of thing is like they're scared of bumping deer. Whereas like I kind of just got over it and was like, you know what, I'm going to use that as a sighting and that'll be the best sign I might or the best intel I might get about that deer is knowing where they, where he was that day during that wind, during that time of year. And I can use that later if I need to as information about that piece.
1: Right. And if you bump him, um, you, the game's not over. Right. Um, I've, I've done exactly what you're talking about, kind of slipping through the cover and bumped a deer and, set right back up on him the next day and killed him. Hmm. Or maybe I bump him and he, you know, if it's soft bump or something, he kind of goes back into, I of see where he goes. And now, now I'm in the game with this deer. Now I know he's in the area and now we can start playing cat and mouse. You know what I mean? Right. So um, just because I think, I think guys get uh, scared to bump. They, they tend to be a little timid. And, um, a little passive because they're scared to, to bump, um, a deer because like most guys really only get that one crack at a big one per year. Right. So I'm not afraid to do that because, um, you know, I have all this other stuff like that I can fall back on and, um, you know, different times of the year where things are going to be cranking or, or heating up and so like it's not the end of the world to me if i blow it with a deer in fact in those situations where i don't have a lot going on like i'm just trying to make something happen trying to get in the game and if i bump yep. the deer you know to me i'm i'm in that game now like game I, didn't, I didn't i didn't blow him out of the county like they'll they'll give you they'll give you another chance now, i'm not saying you'll kill him right where you bumped him. you got to use you know some reasoning here and and uh you know, and some good common sense, but at least I know there's a deer in the area now and I can fall back on my past experiences. I can look at maps and aerials and be like, okay, where is this deer likely bedding? Where could I set up where I might get a crack at them or maybe even just get a visual and then get in and get a more detailed type sit. Right. And that's, that's how my wheels are turning in that type of situation. Yeah. Um,
2: I- I think the one thing too, just to build on that is, you know, guys will bump a deer and, you know, and then they think like the game is over. And part of it is, is because like you and I are talking here and it's like, we're both willing to put the boots to the ground and, and put the miles on if we have to, to go find another deer or find that deer again, where a lot of people, it's like, it, it gives them a reason to stop. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people, whether it's hunting or in life in general, are looking for a reason to quit. Um, Whereas like if you've bumped that deer, that should be the reason why you want to put more miles on. Like you want to go, he's there, you know, he's there, like just right. go find him again, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that's a big, big thing, but man, I got one more question for you that I'm going to let you get out of here. Cause I don't want to, I want to be sensitive to your times. Cause I know you got work tomorrow morning, but knowing that you have these spots kind of picked out, man. And, you know, you got like these pieces where you have, you know, historical information about, you know, if you're if you're walking into a piece like unknowing and you're and you're doing that freestyle like freelance style hunting that we were just talking about, is there anything in particular that you will see when you're scouting that is like you know I always call call it prioritizing sign. Like some people, you know, like Greg Litzinger, for example, really likes rubs, right? Like he likes to hunt rub lines, and that's like one of the things that he's really good at. You know, I know John Eberhardt and I'm kind of, I fall under this school of thought is like, I'm more of like, I like to find scrapes versus finding rubs. You know, I know that this is dependent upon the time of season too. Some guys are big track guys, right? I'm just curious, like where you fall with that. Like what's, what's, you know, sign do you really prioritize when you're doing that freestyle type of hunting?
1: This is an area I've never set foot on.
2: Yeah. That's, us make it where it's like, you don't, maybe you have, and you have very limited information, but it's pretty, pretty virgin to you overall.
1: Yeah. Um. I don't know that I prioritize any one over the other. Um, like I've killed deer at primary scrapes. I've killed deer on rub lines. I've killed deer coming out of, uh, a bedding area that I picked out from a map. Hmm. Um, so I guess if I was, if I was going in to a, a spot like that, um, I most likely have like scoured over the map, um, quite a bit. And I probably have some, spots to key in on and depending on the time of the year, like if this is a, let's say it's a, you know, October to late October type hunt, I'm probably going to be looking um, at some of those spots that kind of jump out at me where a mature buck might bed, mm-hmm. depending on the habitat, if it's hill country, if it's marsh, I mean, you could go on and on. Right. But, um, I would key in on those areas. Um, and I would probably kind of, you know, kind of sneak and scout slash hunt my way towards those spots. And, um, if the, if I'm picking up sign, like there's a big deer in the area in that spot, I would probably set up, um, like, so if it's like a, a bedding, a bedding area, you know, just going, I'd go by my past experience. Like how close do I think I can get to this deer without bumping him? Is he most likely off this point off this Island here? okay, I think I can get within a hundred yards. You know, I'm looking for rubs. I'm looking for the sign that there's a big deer in the area. Um, but it, it, I don't really prioritize like a rub over a scrape or something. It's a, it's, it's a combination. I, I do like, uh, multiple sign, like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, um, I like to see, you know, if I, if I see big rubs coming out of a bed that, that a bedding area, that would probably be plenty for me to feel confident setting up, you know, on something like that. Um, you know, but if I, you know, if I'm sneaking into an area and I'm kind of working my way towards that bed, but I come across like, like what John likes a primary scrape area, like Mm -hmm. it kind of opens up and this place is just torn up. It's like access was good. I haven't bumped anything. And I feel like it's in a spot where, Hey, this is close enough to good cover where, very likely a deer will move in daylight. I'd, I'd be more than confident setting up right there. Right. Um, so, you know, then if it's during the rut, um, it might be no sign at all. Right. It might be a lot of times, like when I'm hunting hill country, I'm not, I'm not, not even really concerned with rubs or scrapes, to be honest with you. If it's during the rut, what I'll look for is multiple, what I talked about, multi, I like multiple signs like, lots of multiple, you know, rubs, scrapes, everything, big tracks, like, Mm -hmm. the whole puzzle, but, like, during the rut, like, I'm looking for multiple terrain things that are coming together, so, like, let's just throw hill country out there, for instance, like, I like, um, I like ridge ridge systems that look like a spider, okay, so, (laughs) the more points that it has, the more potential bedding it has, which means more deer, (laughs) okay, so I'm looking, like, I'm looking on the map for two ridge systems like that that are connected. So you know this ridge, you know this this hill over here has all these spur ridges coming off. It looks like a spider, like a like a a wheel with spokes, you know yep. that's a very dynamic uh, ridge. And then this one over here adjacent to it, kind of has the same type of feel, like a lots of elevation changes, lots of points. And then I'm looking what connects those. This side hill over here, if it's a, if it's a hill over, um, if it's a ridge over here on the west, and a ridge over here on the east, and I'm looking at that side hill that's connecting those two, that's a very high percentage spot. So if I if I have a north wind, I'm going to be sitting on that south side of that hill. Right. Okay. So like during the rut, like that's what I'm looking for. I'm not really worried about rubs or scrapes at all. Or another thing I like in hill country is when. You get, um, it's really tough to hunt in the bottoms, but you can in certain situations, especially if they're a little wider and most guys are afraid to get in the bottoms, but I killed so many deer in the bottoms. (laughs) Um, so, you know, if you got this ridge system that if you look and you see all these points kind of dipping down into the bottom coming from multiple directions, but they're all kind of like, um, pointing in the same general area,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: those are all little travel little spur ridges of travel that come down there. So I will dive right into that spot and see what all comes together down at that bottom. There'll be like a, a Creek crossing or a scrape or something like that. And then I can often get a consistent wind as long as it's going, uh, along the Valley. So like, let's say the Valley runs East and West and the wind's blowing out of the West. I can usually get on that East side, of that valley and just let it blow me up the valley right now everything everything behind me is toast right garbage but i get off on the side and i can still hunt down that bottom with that wind now if it's going if it was blowing anywhere out of the north or south i'd be screwed because it'd be swirling like crazy in there but the key is you need a little bit wider type valley to pull that off um
2: right but and like, then the wind needs to be blowing parallel with the with the elevation features
1: right but you got to find that spot where everything comes together it'll be where a lot of trails come together there'll be a a creek crossing or there's a, a lot a lot of times i find a big giant scrape down there and that's what i'll sit i'll get right on that downwind side of that yeah um but then like you talk about early season like what am i looking for when scouting so i'll look like for instance for kentucky i went down there for the opener I find these secluded corners, these secluded pockets of, you know, these green lush bean fields where I know that's what deer do that time of year. They come out in the beans. So <clears throat> it's not always perfectly easy to find a big buck, but they like to come out in these corners that are hidden far away from houses, far away from roads. You know, the most, a lot of times the most hidden or the furthest corner and I look for low spots. And then I what I'm looking at on the map is like, okay, what's the adjacent cover look like to these, this bean field? Is it just skinny down there and there's not much cover? Does it look like monotonous hardwoods? I might not even overlook that glass, that area. But then I see this other area. I look at the topo, it drops down. There's some water in there. There's some diversity. I see there's a few big trees, but it looks like there's some scrubby type brush just off the beans that's the area i'm gonna sit in glass you know and then i might if it's if i feel like i can get away with it i might go walk that edge and look for big tracks and in that case not really looking for a rub necessarily if i see one that's awesome Um, but a lot of times like bucks that time of year in velvet so i'm just looking for a big track Mm -hmm. but a lot of times i won't even if it looks too sensitive or i can't get down to where I want to be. I'll just, um, that'll be just a a glassing spot. And if I turn one up, I'll hunt that deer. If I don't, I'll just look for another area that has similar features or, or similar type habitat. So it, it's really dependent on the time of year and, uh, you know, what, with what kind of sign I'm looking for.
2: And then what, of course, what type of habitat terrain that you're, that you're into at the, at that time as well.
1: Yeah. So I, I don't put, like I said, I don't put any more value on a scrape or over a big rub. It just depends on the time of year and where those are located. Right. Giant, A giant rub line coming out of this, coming onto this island off this point, And it's, you know, October 1st through October 31st. Yeah, that's a great spot. Like I'm sitting on that. I'm, right. sit, I'm getting close to that bed as close as I can without... Um, bumping that deer and I'm going to try to hunt him. Right. If it's, if I run into a big giant scrape that's, you know, off the fields or, or in the cover and it's just tore up in there, maybe there's four or five, six scrapes under some low Oak branches or something. Access was good. I didn't bump anything and it's just tore up and it's, you know, mid October to late October, I'm hunting that spot. Right. So in that situation, you know, that takes priority.
2: Right. I think it goes back to what we talked about at the top of this, which is just what we were talking about being mobile and hunting mobile is just like, it, it goes back to just being multiple, right. Being able to adapt and take advantage of whatever's being presented to you at that time.
1: Yeah. Right. You got to, um, if you can recognize that quickly and that's, I mean, I've hunted with quite a few guys and, and multiple guys have said that when they're hunting with me and I, I don't even, didn't even realize that, but they say like, you're able to break down things really quickly. And that's why you're able to get on good deer quickly. Like you're able to break it down and then apply the tactic, no matter how off the wall it might be. And I guess I probably have confidence in it because I've tried it all. Right. You know what I mean? (laughs) Right. You know, so I I have confidence hunting from the ground. I have confidence still hunting with my bow through bedding area. I, I feel like I can do that undetected. And I it do, doesn't always work, but I have that confidence, like going into it. Like I can outsmart these deer. I, I feel that even though I right. don't always do it.
2: <laughs> right. Right. That, well, that's just, you it, know? man. it's like, you know, like uh, talking to any accomplished hunter that I've had the opportunity to talk to, it's like, they always say like failure was the best teaching tool, you know Absolutely. what I mean? And it's yeah. second, so you just have to have enough confidence to try it and you're going to win some, you're going to lose some, but when you lose some, ask the question, why? and and figure out what the misstep was and how you'll, how you're planning to correct it or what you would do differently the next time. You know, I think is, and I think in what you said earlier too, man, is just always evolving, growing and getting better. Right. That's the name of the game. And if you're doing that and that's where your mind's at, then you're going to eventually things are going to click for you.
1: Yeah. One thing you said too, real quick, I want to say, uh, one thing that you said that I really liked and, um, I've actually said that in the past is that you, you chose to focus on improving your weakness. Yeah. Right. So my thing is I want to be good at, I want to be good at every thing, every tactic. I want to be deadly at it. Mm -hmm. I want to be deadly in every type of terrain, no matter what type of situation I'm presented. And, um, I really, you know, in the past and I continue to do this is really focus on what I'm weak at. So when I was weak in hill country, I tried to hunt more hill country and, a few years ago i was really not feeling confident like with like spot and stock type situations now anytime i get a chance to do spot and stock i'm doing it right like i want to get better at it yep and um you know there's certain scenarios where you know decoys are deadly i oh, you know, i was
2: going to ask you about decoys that's <laughs> that's one thing i'm adding this year while i'm adding the ground game is decoys cuz i've never used one yet
1: yeah i've killed a few with decoys and i'm not an expert by any means but that's an area i want to get more experience with and better. Um, if it's your archery, if like you said, you were having trouble with punching the trigger, like good move on, on recognizing that that was holding you back a little bit and focusing, focusing on your weakness to improve. So I think if guys take anything from this is what are you, if you're really trying to improve, if if your goal is like, uh, you know, to become a better hunter, like, like my goal is, and like Clint's goal is, you know, focus on the areas that you have the least amount of confidence in and that you struggle with the most. Try to bring those up to, you know, if you're a good rut hunter, which that seems to be most guys strength, that's when most guys get their deer. Mm -hmm. Um, Try to be, try to get better at early season. Try to up your glassing game. Try to hunt, uh, you know, some of these, this flat farm country and get on the ground and, and do more, uh, you know, still hunting or, or spot and stalk. Um, just try to try different things to try to improve the areas that you don't have that confidence in. And you're just going to make yourself a, a more well-rounded hunter.
2: Right. Yeah, man. That is like, I think the perfect advice to end this on, because I think that that's like the big takeaway from all this is just, you know, try to get better at everything and be multiple and let the kind of sign come to you you know if you're if you're freestyle if you're freestyle hunting and don't be afraid to take those chances and make those moves but uh with that man uh i'm gonna let you go but before i do that where can people follow along with you uh during this upcoming season so they can see uh all these deer you're dragging out of the timber uh
1: well i only i only really do anything on instagram and i'm i'm relatively inactive on that so um i tell people don't expect too much from me <laughs> you know but, um i try to i try to put some stuff on there but i don't know i'm 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 actually it's it's a little bit against uh, goes against my nature to put stuff out there but um i'm getting more comfortable with it even with the podcast it was really hard at first but right. i'm getting more comfortable with that kind of stuff so if you want to uh check out instagram it's so I don't know. It's, don't get your hopes up, but there's <laughs> some stuff on there.
2: <laughs> it's, it's, it's my favorite handle on Instagram, actually, bow hunting dad, oh, yeah. because I can, I can relate, but man, yeah. I could talk to you for hours, brother. We're gonna have to do another session of this. Cause there's a bunch of stuff we haven't even got to like the archery stuff and things like that, that we didn't even get to touch on. So I'd love to have you back on sometime, but, uh, enjoy your evening, man. And, uh, I hope to talk to you soon.
1: Yeah. Anytime, Clint. Thanks.
2: All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast. I'd be super appreciative if you could do those two things for me. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout-out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Brew Coffee Company, Gumleaf USA Boots, and Day 6 Specialized Gear. And until next time... We'll see y'all.